This podcast is presented by Solving Kids Cancer, dedicated to improving survival through novel clinical studies. To learn more about funding opportunities, visit our website at solvingkidscancer.org and click Apply for Grant. This week in Pediatric Oncology, the podcast about new advances for childhood cancer. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode number 44, recorded sometime during the week of May 13th, 2014. I'm not sure exactly when it was recorded because I wasn't at the Advances in Neuroblastoma Research Conference in Cologne, Germany, but doctors Nile Schall and Carrie Strieber were there from Nationwide Children's Hospital and recorded lots of different episodes, and we're just getting to them slowly and posting them. But nevertheless, I hope you enjoy this episode. Take it away, Carrie and Nile. Welcome again to This Week in Pediatric Oncology. I'm Carrie Streeby, one of the current fellows at Nationwide Children's Hospital. I'm here hosting with Dr. Neela Shah. Hello. <laughs> and we are currently meeting with Professor Michelle Haber. Hello. And Professor Andrew Pearson. Hello. And just briefly, both of these people have very extensive histories and have made major impacts on the field. Um, Professor Michelle Haber is currently the executive director and head of program of experimental therapeutics at the Children's Cancer Institute Australia. She is the past ANR president and the current convener of the next ANR meeting in 2016 in Cairns, Australia. And in 2007, she was appointed to a member of the Order of Australia, and she was a state finalist for Australian of the Year in 2012. Um, Since she was appointed director of the CCIA in 2000, their grant funding has risen more than eightfold, which is an enormous accomplishment, in addition to her many publications. And uh, Professor Andrew Pearson is the Cancer Research UK Professor of Pediatric Oncology. He is also on over 25 committees. He's the founding chair of Sciopen in 1998. He's the uh, co-chair and co-founder with Sue Cohen from Chicago of the International Neuroblastoma Risk Group Task Force. And he has authored more than 280 peer-reviewed manuscripts. And another fun fact is that he spent a year at the University of Minnesota as a Lilly Medical Research Council traveling fellow. And he is also currently the chair of the Novel Agent Subgroup of the Children's Cancer and Leukemia Clinical Studies Group of the National Cancer Research Institute. And he was the first chair of the European Neuroblastoma Group. And he also designed the COJEC regimen that was used throughout Europe for the therapy of high-risk neuroblastoma. So again, with these great accomplishments, we wanted to thank you very much for taking time to meet with us. And one of the first things that we wanted to discuss with you is what's uh, exciting you about this current conference and what's going on in the field of neuroblastoma. So uh, I think that what's very exciting at always at these meetings, uh, I think that the, the sense of international collaboration is very exciting. And even at the sessions that I was at this morning, there was a, a comment where uh, there was a presentation where someone had sequenced a small number of relapsed tumours and the conversation was well you know we don't have many of these relapsed tumours this hasn't been done and the the automatic response was well maybe we need to get together around the world to be doing this and collaboration of course has underpinned everything that's happened in the neuroblastoma area but as we move towards this era of precision medicine where we're going to be targeting uh, it, unquestionably, I think now, at uh, the children of the next generation of, of, of neuroblastoma therapy with 
treatments tailored to their particular genetic aberrations in their tumours, this sort of international global effort um, and the concept that we really do need to be looking at the relapsed tumours, looking what's happened after treatment, I think, is the way of, of the future. And that, that's exciting me that we've got to the point where we're recognising that, where even two or three years ago, the conversation, oh, we can't biopsy children, you know, it's unethical, we, we can't do this because they're going to relapse and die. Well, we're moving on from there and saying, no, they're going to relapse and we're going to treat them. Absolutely. And we're going to have new and exciting ways of doing that. So we have to work together towards that goal. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think you know, the, the, the relative rarity of neuroblastoma really to highlight this, and that in high-risk neuroblastoma, we envision over the next few years will not be one disease; it'll be multiple diseases. Um, and similar to what's happening in, in medulloblastoma now, very much indeed. Yeah, I mean that's a you know beautiful example um, of the way in pediatric cancer we've individualised therapy. And, you know, in adult cancer, for example, lung cancer now, mm -hmm. they, I mean, they, there are a number of targetable mutations which can be used. So I think that that's, uh, I mean, the vision is that in a few years' time that we will have high-risk neoblastoma of many subtypes. And it appears that obviously the lowest hanging fruit is mutations or uh, appropriate of ALK. Mm -hmm. But then there uh, are a number of other possibilities and MICN has been the, the ultimate challenge or MICN driven cancers and, and Michelle has has done a vast amount over the years to actually um, you know develop a therapeutic approach to that but then we've got other HOX uh, and we heard this morning that you know targeting the uh, um, the RASF pathway which we thought you know wasn't a real key sort of key driver in neoblastoma of all these but Problem is, there going to be um, multiple different types of neuroblastoma, and that in any one cooperative group, so we're not talking about a country, mm -hmm. the numbers are going to be small. So we've just got to to work together, and I think the work we've done over the last few years in international collaboration has provides the, the the paradigm for um, a, a stepping stone to take that forward, and I think. Following on Michelle's comment about international collaboration, what we're seeing now are the collaborative studies um, that, that were set up, um, you know, five years ago. Now, boring uh, fruits, um, and yesterday at the uh, update course, a course we ran for, um, you know, junior faculty, um, that uh, there were two beautiful examples of, you know, MIBG scoring MIBG um, that actually a system developed. A different side of the Atlantic, marvelous into collaboration, and what looks like there's going to be a common way, and that there's going to be just one single figure mm -hmm. which identifies those children with high risk neoblastoma at the end of induction therapy mm -hmm. that have a worse outcome. And then we saw the next pre presentation that showed a similar approach, um, a work linking with Sue, Sue Burchell's linking with Bob Seeger, um, uh, and that we can the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole lot of, and the, 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 the fruit of international collaboration is now, now, now helping children with cancer and neoblastoma. Yeah, I think that um, what comes out of this meeting, every time you hear, you're amazed at the, the new targets that are being identified, mm -hmm. uh, but also the new drugs that are becoming available. I mean, uh, the, 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 the standard 
dogma was, well, you can't drug in Mick. Well, I just right. sat through a session of <laughs> six, six different mm, molecules, certainly. you know, with six different mechanisms of action mm-hmm. that are now beginning to be defined, showing that you can mm-hmm. actually, <laughs> uh, you know, begin to target in Mick. And, you know, you've got your JQ1 and your mm-hmm. uh, the, the bet Roman domain inhibitors that are looking as if they're going to be very exciting. And I, I think that this... Um, uh, program of defining what are what is going on in each child's tumour, which are the critical targets that are overexpressed, which are the mutations that are critical, which are the translocations, which are the epigenetic changes. You know, it, it is, this was the holy grail of the future and it, it was, it seemed that we would never get there, but at this meeting, it, I think that the potential of actually achieving that, realising that this is the path and in planning for our um, A&R meeting in 2016 mm-hmm. in Cairns. Mm-hmm. I, I floated at the steering committee on um, Sunday afternoon mm-hmm. that one of the major themes of the, the meeting in two years' time would be precision medicine. Mm-hmm. And everyone has said, yes, that, that is absolutely what we need to be doing. Yeah. And one of the speakers this morning said, yes, and hopefully by then we'll have enough data to have a dedicated session on mm-hmm. you know, the, the changes mm-hmm. in relapse samples specifically. Yeah. Now, that would have been... Just unheard of. In two years. Just, just unheard of. But I think in two years, that's where we will get to because there's such a, an enthusiasm, such a hunger to make that move forward from where we are, which is the, you know, the 50% barrier for these kids with high-risk neuroblastoma and needing yeah. a, a paradigm shift mm-hmm. to be able to, to jump those levels. I think we can see that we're on the absolutely on the, the edge yeah. of being able to to touch and smell and feel what that paradigm shift is and absolutely. there's a drive towards it and I believe there will be international collaboration I'm going to um, meet with people at the NIH uh, at the end of this trip next week oh, to talk to them about how Australia can integrate into mm-hmm. you know a national platform an international platform for precision medicine because each country cannot do this on its own as Andy said the, even in the US with all of its strength and breadth mm-hmm. there are simply not going to be enough patients with these rare changes to be able to know whether they are biologically and clinically relevant and whether they are genuinely actionable. Mm -hmm. And it is going to have to be a global effort on the scale of which we've never seen before, Mm -hmm. really, to get to move this forward. But I I am enormously encouraged by the the spirit of commitment towards that goal. And I think the marvellous thing is actually when when you coast A&R in 2015 Cairns, that actually we'll be able to see it. I think, yeah. and um, I think it, it really is sort of um, at that stage um, um, that actually, I think personalised medicine has lagged behind, you know, some adult malignancies for you know the obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. But now we really are applying that. Yeah, and it is quite dramatic. Of just kind of in, in the conversations that we've had thus far, and hearing from uh, when we spoke with uh, Dr. Broder and Dr. Seeger, and how their collaboration with Dr. Schwab really came together on that international level because of access to tumor samples and having that forward thinking and moving forward now to really the the third uh, exponential of that in that we're now moved past original tumor samples to relapse samples. Now we've moved past a single gene to looking at, at all of them in that focused way. It is quite dramatic. Yeah, I think the other thing that we'll have to see happen in the future that we do know from the beginnings of precision medicine in adults, that when you have a mutation and you think you have a targeted drug, (laughs) that doesn't necessarily mean success. Absolutely. And I think that what's going to have to happen in parallel with all this fabulous molecular analysis is that we're going to have to set up the testing and the screening platforms Mm -hmm. 
preclinical in vitro high throughput screening mm -hmm. of uh, uh, where we've got these molecular changes and testing them against these targeted drugs in vitro. And I think also in patient-derived xenografts, I think that, you know, that has to be the way that we go so that we can not just go to clinical trial and find that a particular child fails mm -hmm. on a drug when it should have worked, yeah. mm -hmm. but to actually have some greater surety that a particular either individual drug or drug in combination will work in vitro or in vivo in real time mm -hmm. before we get that into the patients. Absolutely. And I see that as the next big challenge. Yeah. And that's certainly a direction that we're going at our institute. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a, an absolute focus, um, actually, at our institution yeah. um, with, <laughs> it, the, with it, Peter Howell's group yeah, of course. Uh, the yeah. pediatric preclinical testing program and, and driving um, yeah. that forward. Yeah, I, would, I would slightly challenge that in one sense because I think, you know, that much, I mean, we, in neoblastoma, it's much more challenging than adult malignancies because the frequency mutation is so low. Mm -hmm. And um, then, you know, the evidence we're hearing in this meeting is the mutations increase at time of elapse, which is mm -hmm. what we would expect. But then I think that we can learn even more by actually studying the tumor material from the children much better. Mm -hmm. oh, um, yeah. And exactly that, that target drugs are very complex, that the neoblastoma uh, uh, develops pathways, uh, multiple pathways, mm -hmm. and I think that actually it goes back to the fact that you give a drug um, and then the, the, the patient enrolls in the study and then you obtain other tumor material at time of progression. Mm -hmm. And I think that, in, as Michel said, you know, Relapse at time, biopsy time relapse, but also biopsy time of progression. Absolutely. Because, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, and I think again, the, the primary tumor is one, but then we are, you know, we're developing, you know, circulating tumor cells um, mm -hmm. um, um, technology. Mm -hmm. um, and for, unfortunately, you know, the circulating free DNA is fine for DNA. Um, <laughs> but I think for those things, but I think we can, we can learn so much more by actually understanding what happens with children with neoblastoma. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, I think that's, you know, as a key, as someone who spent all their life with you know, early clinical trials, I think that's something very important. And the, the thing about early clinical trials, is unlike the Kojak regimen where, you know, it's five drugs, early clinical trials, you know, nowadays are mostly combination. I think most of the really effective, you know, new, new studies are coming up, they're mm -hmm. combination studies. Yeah. And I think that the, the paradigm out of Peter Houghton's and what you've been doing there, I mean, we've got Richard Lockett, Children's mm -hmm. Cancer mm -hmm. Institute, who's been doing the ALL patient-derived yep, xenografting, and we're already moving that into the uh, precision medicine scenario yeah. where uh, we're demonstrating that in real time you can actually take the, you know, patient mm -hmm. samples and, and get information, get meaningful information, information that can be acted upon. So I think that it's an extraordinarily exciting time yeah. um, and that that excitement is palpable. <laughs> so that's fantastic. So since both of you have had such vast experiences in international collaboration, I wonder if you could just talk with us a little more about the sh some of the struggles that you had with establishing some of those international collaborations and just your overall experiences. International collaboration in in Europe really started, you know, in the um, the late 1980s, early 1990s, where I mean the ENSG5 trial, which you you mentioned, was where we uh, evaluated the Kojak regimen against a less intensive regimen, um, and. We 
at a, a conclusion, but the uh, bad thing, uh, the thing I regretted about that, it took us nine years to do that, <laughs> yeah. which I think is kind of unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason was that we know we were, we were, there were five countries working hard together, um, and that really was one of the major catalysts for the creation of the CEPEN group. Um, um, and uh, a meeting we had in so the late 1990s, we, each of the countries presented their results of their single centre high-risk neoblastoma study um, with small numbers. And then I mean, the conclusion we made there you know, would be that for high-risk neoblastoma, we would never ever do a single centre study again. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really has yeah. been the beginning of it all. Um, mm-hmm. And that I think the, the, the key element we've tried to do is international collaboration is respect every person mm-hmm. between coming to the table because everyone has their skills um, mm-hmm. and that angle is so you know, important. And then we, we in a CEPEN, and then 10 years and six months ago, um, since I found up Sue Cohn and, and uh, <laughs> asked her, Wait, would she, and I never met Sue in my life before, uh, whether <laughs> we'd work together on, on, interna- on the International Neuroatomic Risk Grouping. Mm-hmm. And again, that's been incredibly productive collaboration. I mean, Sue is an unbelievable collaborator. I mean, I've been so lucky to work with her. But again, that's been a rolling ball. And just, um, now we have 18,000 uh, patient data in, in, in the database. And that, that number is going to expand dramatically from now on. And that just allows us to get so much more data about children's neoblastoma, rare subgroups. But also, we can actually, um, now we're trying to to uh, relate genomic data to that um, you know, through through a cloud technology based in Chicago, um, so that we can catalog and link, um, you know, the detailed genomic work mm-hmm. that's been done. So I think that off- offers enormous potential, really. But I think in international collaboration, the children with neoblastoma need international collaboration to get the maximum progress. We all need to be working together. The rarity of childhood neoblastoma demands it. But I think one principle is we try and respect every every partner in that because every partner is equally valuable. Mm-hmm. And then in contrast to that, so just to play the devil's advocate, because there are, there are certainly some differences still in, in how Siapin approaches uh, mm-hmm. um, some of the protocols versus CIG. Okay. So is there is there an argument to be made that there, there should still be some uh, give and take that way? Well, where, how do you how do you decide that at a leadership level of how much independence you give across no, international collaboration versus yeah. we're going to maintain uh, no, I mean, some I mean, my personal approach is you know where CEPEN and COG different approach. Let's do a randomized study. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you know, until recently, you know, the criteria to proceed myeloblative therapy differed. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, from COG to CEPEN, mm-hmm. those patients who had progressive disease did not proceed in North America, whilst in, in CEPEN we gave them additional therapy mm-hmm. on the hope that we would improve cure rates. And you know, that would be a, you know, a, another example where we could do a randomized study. Mm-hmm. The problem is that the number of randomized studies you know, are limited, but with modern statistical technolo- methodology, mm-hmm. you know, we can do randomized studies on smaller numbers. We currently have the Beacon study for relapsed neoblastoma. Two hypotheses are being asked 120 patients, mm. so in 60 patients in, in each arm, broadly speaking. So we've got a lot more capacity. So, I mean, the statisticians globally are helping the, the clinicians enormously um, mm-hmm. by helping us do it rather than, you know, 
big studies of you know 200 patients in each arm. So I think randomized studies are key, and I think that we are very lucky that statisticians are helping us by you mm-hmm. know, by Bayesian and young methodologies. So really using the differences in approaches synergistically, yes. instead of competitively. Yeah, totally. And and using the the, the modern math and. And luckily, all the new maths that we have wonderful statisticians to learn yes. so that I don't have to. <laughs> yeah, I think also in terms of international collaboration, from where I sit, which is making sure that Australia um, it hmm. really can play on the world stage Absolutely. because we, we, we are so small and we are so far away that if we don't, we're, we're sort of doomed to failure. Uh, and I have found that, first of all, um, our success and our ability to build our profile has depended on the the generosity of... So, for example, the a major cohort of tumour samples mm-hmm. that were sent uh, to Australia in the late 1990s from which we were able to extract RNA and to do mm-hmm. gene expression analysis. That actually has informed numerous papers that have come out mm-hmm. of our labs. It's been a wonderful resource. Yep. And I've seen... Um, how the time scale is collapsing mm. in terms of getting preclinical data into the clinic. So there was a, we have a, a trial that's just opened uh, now based on our data and collaboratively with uh, Mike Hogarty from Philadelphia, mm-hmm. yep. where we presented that data jointly in 2008 mm-hmm. at the ANR meeting and at AACR. And it's taken until the end of last year, so nearly five years, mm-hmm. for that data to go from the point of, of conception and, and presentation of the preclinical data into a clinical trial. By comparison, preclinical data that I've just presented at the meeting mm-hmm. this morning on, on another particular target, I first presented that at AACR last year. Last year, mm-hmm. the LOI for a COG phase one clinical trial is already well underway, wow. and that trial is likely to open, you know, within yeah. you know within a twelve month to eighteen month window. Mm-hmm. So, the, first of all, the, the sense of oh, you're Australia, you can't do this, <laughs> uh, but and and the PI on on that COG trial is going to be in Australia. Now, who would have thought, mm. you know, that 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 would have <laughs> happened? And I, I see this as reflecting a global effort. Well, what mm-hmm. does it matter where people are coming from Absolutely. if they're the people? with mm. the data that will mm-hmm. allow us to move forward, then let's open the doors yeah. and let's make this happen. I just see that as a wonderful yep. change of, in the way people are perceiving others around the world. I think it's yeah. great. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And particularly as, you know, I've been very happy. This is my, I'm, I'm very happy to say this is my third ANR. I've been very happy to see that um, India has been represented consistently. Mm-hmm. Taiwan has been represented yeah. in China. And a lot of these developing um, uh, economies are, are coming to the table. And uh, one question to, to you as well. Um, I know Dr. Nakagawara spoke to this a little bit in the updates yes, uh, as well about the challenges for talk, yes. uh, um, developing world. Mm-hmm. Of uh, what are ways that, that we should be reaching out to those economies and uh, into those uh, countries to, well, to help them? Well, I mean, I think we are very keen. I mean, the past, present, uh, and future presidents of ANRA, you know, feel that we want to increase the number of participants from those countries. So that's the first step. Um, and, you know, we are trying to make it financially um, uh, more possible. But then I think we've got to look at our therapy for neoblastoma um, and see how we can give the maximum benefit um, at the least um, cost. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I think we need to define the subsets of, you know, the, the children that we can cure um, uh, as easily as possible. Use all the experience we've got, and in all honesty, I don't think we, we haven't applied as much 
effort, um, I think, as we, we should do in the future, to be honest on that. <laughs> uh, I agree. I think that uh, a discussion that I've seen, actually quite a lot of at this meeting, which we haven't touched on yet, but is directly relevant to what we've said, is about access to drugs. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's all very well identifying the, you know, the, the, again, the molecular aberration and, and you think you're sweet, but in reality, if the pharmaceutical or the biotech companies won't provide the drugs mm -hmm. for your indication, then it, it's useless information. Absolutely. So I think advocacy, and we've had discussions with a number of the philanthropic groups who have been at mm -hmm. this meeting about jointly beginning to advocate for access to drugs for, mm -hmm. for precision for, for precision medicine trials but at the same time the conversation is coming well it's actually not just about targeted drugs for mm -hmm. these precision medicine trials it's also about drugs mm -hmm. for the developing countries yes. period you know uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Kate Mathay was mentioning only yesterday that she's um, uh, working with Morocco where they oh. can't get access mm -hmm. to Topatican yeah. You know, we're, we're not talking about whether it's the latest immune <laughs> yeah. therapy or whether it's the latest... And, and frankly, we're even having, I don't know if you're having these problems in, in, uh, in Europe and Australia, but, you know, we are regularly having, uh, you know, shortages of doxorubicin and shortages of, of uh, mercaptopurin because they become generic and, and they're no longer yeah. as uh, bountiful as uh, some of these newer drugs. So I think we need, uh, again, in the same way as we have international collaboration in terms of advancing the science and the clinical care, we need to have an increasing focus, I think, on advocacy for mm -hmm. uh, access to drugs for patient populations, both within the developed and the developing countries, if, if this is really going to be a, a genuine international increase in survival rates. So I think that is a major focus, you know, for, for the future. Um, you know, how can we help neoblastoma the most and, you know, continue international collaboration, um, develop personalised therapy and consider personalised therapy for developing countries. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think those are, you know, are, are three key key themes for the future. Any any final thoughts you'd like to leave, uh, leave our listeners no, I think it's a very exciting period of time for research and applying that research for children with neoblastoma. So with the ultimate goal of increasing cure rates mm -hmm. and reducing long-term side effects. Yeah, and I think the fact that you're saying that the audience that you've got here is not only clinicians and scientists, but parents, I think we do need to remember uh, that, that this is so relevant to all of these uh, populations. But at the end of the day, the, 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 the clients, the end users for all of this are the parents of the kids with cancer. Yep. And we've had a, a very detailed discussion about the um, ANR 2016 meeting and hopefully going forward that there will be an increased focus on uh, family participation either for those who can directly be there hopefully but also streaming internationally live from oh, a day awesome. with clinicians and scientists about mm -hmm. the latest updates and having parent advocates involved in the design of that workshop mm -hmm. and having clinicians stay on after the end of that meeting to make sure that we can really um, share the latest knowledge and to, to, to give to the parents, um, you know, the understanding of the directions that we're going and hopefully it will be able to help their children. Mm -hmm. But if not, it's not, if it's not their children, then it will be the next uh, generation yeah. of children that come through the doors of the wards. So that, that is really a big focus, I think. That, that sounds fantastic. And yet one additional reason to look forward to 2016. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you both very much yes. for your time thank today. You very much and uh, um, we, we certainly look forward to many, many more ANRs in the future. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Thank you, much. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, guys, for that terrific conversation. You're rapidly working me out of a job. 
To our listeners, we're happy to read your emails during a future podcast and discuss your comments and questions. If you send us a note at twipo at solvingkidscancer.org, you can also follow us on Twitter at Twipo Podcast and sign up for automatic notification when we post new episodes. Please go to the Solving Kids Cancer website to do those things. Thanks to the team of Solving Kids Cancer, a nonprofit charity dedicated to improving survival through creating novel treatment options for children. That team includes Donna Ludwinski, our executive producer, Jenny Song, director of communications, and Scott Kennedy and John Lennon, the founding co-directors of Solving Kids Cancer. Remember, the more we learn, communicate, share ideas, and work together, the faster we'll reach the day when all childhood cancer is preventable or curable. As always, keep up the fight, and thanks for listening to This Week in Pediatric Oncology.